0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. And as a special offer for the month of October, we are offering 50% off for all of our ThoughtBot podcast listeners. Just follow the link from the show notes and sign up today.
1: Giant robots smashing into other giant robots.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Brenda Storer. Hey, Brenda.
1: Hey, Ben, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thanks. So, you have kind of a cool story, which is that you joined Thoughtbot as an apprentice originally.
1: Yes. Um, and I got to spend a month in Boston, but I don't think we ever talked to each other. Or were you there? Were you on like a walkabout?
0: I think I, yeah, I think I was not there because I don't remember this happening. I don't r- think anybody remembers so, <laughs> no,
1: except for Connie, who was my mentor. Um, uh, it will, no, it was March, 2014.
0: Oh, okay. No. So I, I probably was there, but I guess I just missed you somehow. That's okay. That's crazy. Well, anyway, let's, we forgive each other for that. I, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. But so you started as an apprentice and then uh, you became a uh, legit full web designer slash front end developer.
1: Yes. All my previous jobs, I had either been a designer who dabbled in code or Mm -hmm. a developer who got to dabble in design. But Mm -hmm. just, you know, in in that traditional structure, everything was organized where they were separate worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was, but I knew I had, you know, I had skills in both. So Mm -hmm. I wanted, I was looking for something like ThoughtBot because I was like, this just makes so much sense. Like, why am I making these detailed PSDs when I could just do the code and, you know, it it just, I I can do both. Like there has to be a place that's going to allow me to do both. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it was right when our, I was looking for work and it was when the New York office was opening here. Um, for Thoughtbot, and so the timing was perfect. And Trace, who um, was opening up the office here, found me and courted me, and yeah. and here I am.
0: Once he gets his teeth in something, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> I he's very tenacious. I, I, I can only imagine what it would be like, but intense would probably be on the list of adjectives.
1: <laughs> very, he's oh, he's very flattering. He's very he he's he's awesome. He makes. I it was the, it was also the first time I think where. I had been courted for a job so I I think I was nice to be at that skill level where I was like Mm, oh I'm not an entry entry level anymore like people actually want me and I don't have to you know beg for recruiters to actually look at my resume or
0: yeah how awesome is that
1: it's it's so nice and now and now recruiters I'm like where were you where were you when I needed you three years ago now you're you
0: want me yeah, I I am such a sucker. Like if someone likes me, I almost can't help liking them. Back. <laughs>
1: I I don't think that's unique.
0: <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so either, but I I am fully susceptible to whatever bias that is called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so actually I'm I'm curious we you started to touch on this, but uh I noticed you described yourself as a web designer and front-end developer. Yeah. Uh as if like as those are two different worlds and I I think maybe people have different definitions for these, but I'm curious like how you split those things in your head.
1: Well, what I think is interesting being a designer at ThoughtBot, because that's really what the role title is, is just designer. Mm. Um, if you look at the LinkedIn profiles of everybody who's a designer at ThoughtBot, everybody says something different and hardly anybody says just designer. Yeah. Um, and some people say product designer. Um, other people will say designer and front-end developer like I do. Mm. Um So for me, I think I do it just to be very clear because I, it's important to me that I also code as well as design. And so I like to make that clear and how I put myself out to the world. So when you,
0: when you say code, are you you throwing that like JavaScript in there or?
1: I mean, CSS counts.
0: (laughs) CSS counts. CSS
1: definitely counts. Um, um, and I will argue that hard. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, but but yeah I mean you know HTML CSS um, SAS is what we mostly do at thoughtbot mm-hmm. as designers um, mm-hmm. but I think growing more and more and especially here in New York office I'm not sure about the other offices uh, as far as I know I think I think actually all of us um, are getting more and more interested in learning more and more JavaScript. Um, mm-hmm. I think also there's a lot of developers who are m- more interested in backend and don't really i mean javascript is it can it can just do so much it can it can do too much it's like Mm. so much with so much what is it with so much power comes so much responsibility like it's (laughs) really easy to do it poorly Mm -hmm. um and so i think that a lot of people don't like it because of that because they they see it being used for evil (laughs) too often so i'm really interested in in um stepping up that my yeah. that too
0: so are are there people still i mean i guess the, I, I bet the answer is yes but i'm surprised to hear that there are people who describe themselves as designers working for the web that wouldn't expect to have to do html and css like they just stop at the here's my photoshop mock-up level
1: i don't know i think that still happens i mean i wasn't looking i haven't looked for work now for like a year and a half since i've been at thoughtbot mm-hmm. or a little over a year and a half but at that time the last time i was really looking for work was maybe two, three years ago. And that and, and the segregation was still very real. Um, or mm-hmm. developers were, I, I was choosing between two jobs. The job I had before ThoughtBot, I was working at a startup and I had been out of work for like four months and I was dying. And on the same day, I got within an hour, two job offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were totally different. And so one was just a startup, employee number eight, have no idea what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. And the second was, um, a large corporation working as a web designer, um, Mm. where the developers are in Seattle and Mm. I would be here. And I just kind of, I'm like, I'm basically, I think I'm going to be like an email designer. Like, I think that's what this job is probably going to be. Um, so that was kind of like the the big choice of which direction I was going to go with my life. Where's my path going to go? Am I going to, have the comfort, the stock options, or am I going to try this thing? I have no idea where this could go. I think I made mm-hmm. the right choice.
0: You went with the startup? I went with the startup, yep. Nice. How long did that last?
1: Um, I was at the startup for a year and a half. And it was nothing I could ever expect. Um, but um, that's when, I, before then, I had just um, done mostly web design as comps um, and done a bit of um, HTML and CSS just because. I was interested in it, and a lot of times the developers I worked with weren't. So mm. I would just kind of jump in and take over um, mm-hmm. because they, they weren't doing it how I liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this was the first time I'd ever worked in a backend, and it was, it was a Ruby on Rails application, and it was the first time I'd ever worked with SAS. Mm. And I was totally scared. I didn't think I would be able to really do any of the coding part. Um, mm-hmm. but my boss, uh, CTO, Sarah chips, um, she, mm. she was
0: like, I know her a little bit.
1: Oh yeah. No, she's great. This is how you turn a designer into a developer is you make it all sound like it's so obvious that they're <laughs> not scared because <laughs> that's mm. basically what she did. Like I never used Git before and she's like, oh, it's easy. You just hear, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote it down. I'm like, Okay. She's like, "Here's are sass. I'm like, what's sass? She's like, oh, it's just like CSS. You just nest things. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, nice. everything was presented as if it wasn't a big deal. Nice. And so then I just kind of jumped in.
0: That's interesting. So uh, that that kind of runs counter to the way I do it sometimes because I worry occasionally that if you give people the impression that something is easy and they have trouble with it, that they think the problem is them and not that the thing is hard. Ooh. You know?
1: That's a good point. I don't know. I think I I also like was so fortunate to be in a really supportive environment where all of the develop, like it it was very much like ThoughtBot where every developer I worked with was super encouraging to each other and, you know, that I was super new and they wanted me to learn. So I never feared asking questions and I knew I didn't know what I was, what I, everything was new and I was excited to Mm -hmm. learn about it. So but it was because everybody was so open to helping. And I was working with people who were teachers, um, who had been my former teachers, um, like, like Sarah Chips and um, Izzy Johnston, who were, I was working with both of them, and they were both Girl Development instructors that I had. And that's how mm. I met them, through taking Girl Development courses. So, mm. um, so I think I, I was just kind of growing into this. We'd grown into that relationship where I was comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that where you kind of got your start with this was as a student of Girl Develop It?
1: Yeah, I mean or... that's besides a few other classes at um someplace in New York called Noble Desktop. I took like a Dreamweaver class mm-hmm. um, and a flash class. Oh, sure. Oh yeah. and then i I took some Girl development classes and um, most i I took kind of all the Girl development classes because they were just so fun and the teachers were so good and um, it was right when they opened. I think I was in like the second class ever. Um, hmm. and I just showed up at everything they did. Like if they had a happy hour, I went I, and then they started inviting me to things. Cause I became like the best student, you know, I was like the Hermione Granger. in like my <laughs> <ass. laughs> Um, so yeah. So then I just got to, uh, they started inviting me to hackathons and, and then, and then Sarah chips hired me. So, um, Fabulous. yeah, I was really lucky to meet really supportive and interesting, cool women who wanted to help me.
0: What a success story for that program.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, and, and then, um, last year I started teaching HTML and CSS Mm -hmm. with it too, which is, which has been super rewarding. And I think I've learned more by teaching. I mean, Mm -hmm. this must be how it is for you, how, like getting into the, you think, you know, something and then you get into, how to explain it and you realize you have no idea actually how it works do you have similar experience
0: yeah absolutely i think it's the best test of uh actual knowledge in a thing is to go teach it to somebody else it has a wonderful way of exposing the holes oh yeah it's like oh, oh everyone if everyone you know quote unquote knows the thing no one ever asks like but like why is it like that like or does like what about this It's just kind of like everyone assumes a sort of base layer, but like when you have uh, someone who's brand new to it, they can ask you these questions that just kind of come out of nowhere. And it's like, wow, I've never thought about where that might come from.
1: And I think that's also a challenge too, is having to, like when you teach, it's very easy to think that you're supposed to know all the answers. And if somebody asks you something, you need to say, oh, well, it's like this, Mm -hmm. but, um, I find it's really good to be like, oh, actually, I don't know. That's such a good Mm -hmm. question. Like, let's figure out how to figure it out together.
0: Yep. That like the watching the process of how you then go about figuring it out. That's probably more educational. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things about um, like I'm often trying to convince people to give like live coding presentations and people are often really afraid of messing up. But messing up can actually be a really good thing. Like it can be actually really uh illuminating for people and educational. So like messing up is actually not really it can it's uncomfortable, but it can be provide like a really good educational opportunity for for the audience.
1: Okay, so I'm giving my very first conference talk next uh-huh. month or no this month. It's October. Congrats. That's oh. awesome. <laughs> um, so and I'm kind of I I'm live I guess I'm live coding like I'm going to manipulate
0: code. Mhm. Great. That's awesome.
1: So any tips?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, my, so my high level tip for all speaking is all, like my base tip is always to try to not be boring. Okay. Like the, the, <laughs> the worst thing a talk can be is boring because bored people tune out. Yeah. Like it, every, most people are sitting there with laptops or phones um, uh, or the hallway track. And so if you don't manage to hold attention, you can't teach anything. It doesn't matter like how, how, good, like, how good your content is. If you can't get people interested in it, then that you won't be able to, to do any, you won't be able to change them at all. Um, so I sort of always start from that base, which is like, how am I going to make sure that in these twenty, thirty, forty minutes, uh, I don't lose their interest? Like, pr- I'll program in things like, let's stand up and stretch, or like, let's take a break oh, nice. and do this weird focus game. Uh, here's a GIF, or like, you know, like, here you know, check out this random thing. Tell a random story. But I just sort of I think of people as having about eight minute te- attention spans, and then needing something new, so like a new topic or a new stimulation or a break, or you know, let's now turn and meet your neighbor. Um, so that's kind of like always my my base advice.
1: I'm I'm using gifs, animated gifs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yep. definitely, I think that's definitely key. And also, you said something else about um, one thing. Like when I've given talks in um, smaller, like in meetups, when mm-hmm. the room is small, I like to keep it conversational and have people participate. And I am wondering how to do that in a larger room with. 100 plus maybe people if that's as manageable of an expectation or
0: how to I totally I think you yeah I think I think you can do it you just have to stick to your guns Uh, so sometimes take over actually the opposite okay Uh, what I usually find is if there's enough people it's hard to wait long enough for questions so you'll say uh, most most speakers will say, does anyone have any questions? And then they'll wait a couple, like may, maybe two seconds, and they go, okay. And they keep moving uh-huh. on. <laughs> uh, okay. And what I try to do is say, let's have some questions. And then I stand there, and I wait for as long as it takes to get a question. And that can actually be really hard because it, as a speaker, you feel like you need to fill time. Like as soon as the mic goes hot and you're on the stage, you feel like if I'm not talking, I'm bombing. And
1: the sweat starts dripping from your forehead.
0: Yep. And so you have to really... Um, wait a lot longer than it feels normal and reasonable to wait for people because what's happening is they're thinking hmm do i have a question i guess i could think of something oh she did talk about that thing before like how do i want to say that is anyone else going to ask this or should i i guess i could is there a microphone i should go like all these thoughts are happening that take a little while to get through and you're just up there going oh god please ask a question please (laughs) ask a question please ask a question but to everyone else they're just kind of like sorting through their sorting through their thoughts Um, so that's, that's one trick is I think to like realize, like recognize that reality that like your time, your sense of time is distorted when you were up on stage.
1: That's really good. Both of the things you've told me are things that nobody else has told me yet.
0: Oh, nice. Thank you. Very cool. That's awesome. There's a, there's some talk I did where it was like a real battle of wills. Like I didn't, I've never had it happen to this extent, but like let's have some questions. And I just waited and I waited and I waited. And I was like, wow, this is taking a long time. And so just to make it really clear that I was like serious about like, I'm not proceeding until there's questions. I leaned up against the podium and just kind of like relaxed my body sort of thing. Like just like, I'm just going to hang out here until I get a question. And eventually the questions started coming and there actually were a lot of them once they started coming. Um, But sometimes you kind of have to work for it a little bit.
1: Nice.
0: So just... Yeah, don't be boring. Okay. That's, 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 that's the biggest be one. Boring. <laughs> that's, that's what kills most that's what kills most talks for me is that it's clear to me the speaker ha- has put a lot of thought into like the material they want you to take like to learn like they've they put a lot of effort into their talk but they haven't thought very much about how do you make the talk interesting. And that, that just like you can see the audience tuning out. Like remember you're competing with the internet. Yeah. Like you have to be more interesting than the internet. I have the internet right at my fingertips. So, like you got to do better than that.
1: That's hard. I mean, the internet has everything
0: right exactly but it does not have live interesting things (laughs) happening right in your face from another human right like the internet can't like hop off the stage and walk down the aisle and talk right to you or like pull someone up on stage and do a live demonstration or start playing music and whatnot that there's like a million things that you can do in person that are more stimulating than looking at my my phone but if you are droning on and you don't seem excited and you've been talking about the same thing for 20 minutes that's getting harder to compete with
1: yeah no i get really excited Good I, I don't know I think I think too i I also don't i I bet this is gonna happen though I'm gonna get nervous because I don't really mm-hmm. get nervous standing like I get much more nervous in a one on one situation than I would mm-hmm. like something about getting on stage you're performing and it's not it doesn't have to be you or I, I don't know there's something about it that like i never I don't get huge stage fright I think i I did theater growing up and dancing mm-hmm. and you know um I used to sing too um Mm, so i'm looking forward to that i think that's kind of why i similar to you i like to travel i don't know i was listening to your old um giant robots where chad interviewed you uh, like a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. you were tired of traveling then yeah what's happened since
0: um i i still feel similar i just don't love traveling alone period uh i'm like super extroverted so it's not the traveling it's just the alone like it, it's in a way, it feels a little bit like a waste for me to travel when I'm by myself because so much of my enjoyment of new things is when I can share them with someone else. So, like, actually, I've I've been figuring out ways around this a little bit. So, I went, uh, I gave a talk in Bath in the UK Ooh, earlier I this love year. Bath. Ooh, <laughs> I Bath.
1: Like, sorry, like it's like the little like Jane Austen fan in me.
0: Mm, it was it was pr- it was wonderful. Great conference. The Bath Ruby Conference was was spectacularly well organized i would say so kudos to simon star and his team on that one um but for that conference i brought my mom
1: oh nice
0: yeah i was just like hey mom i'm going to england do you want to come and she was like absolutely and so we just turned it into like a mother-son trip and it was wonderful
1: oh my gosh and like i don't know i think bath feels like you're you're traveling back in time and you just want to put on like georgian dresses and take a turn around the pump room <laughs>
0: mm-hmm and, yep and eat and we sn- cucumber we sn- sandwiches Yeah, absolutely. We (laughs) snuck over to London too. So it was, it was great. And that, and that totally changed how that that whole dynamic of that. So I basically, I've, I've been turning down more and more, uh, conferencey things and being much more selective about it. But so now I just go to, I go only when there are places that I really want to visit. And when I do, I try to bring somebody with me.
1: See, I just did, um, in June, I did a week long trip all by myself Mm -hmm. and it was awesome. I Mm -hmm. hadn't really done that. Like, I had studied abroad in college years ago, and I did a little bit of solo travel then, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't really done anything since. And this was just, I just kind of had a week where I was in between projects and just made sense or something to to do something. And I just, I just wanted to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I booked a trip to Scotland and I'd never been.
0: Oh, Scotland's wonderful.
1: Oh, it was, it was great. And I geeked out on whiskey unexpectedly like i knew i liked it but i just like i I sampled 30 whiskeys when i was there kept a list um went hiking in sky but like i being solo i made sure i wanted to go to a country that was english speaking so i could talk to people and meet people Mm -hmm. and i booked like a day-long hike with a it was with a small group, but it actually ended up to be just me and a guide because nobody hmm. else booked in the group that day, mm-hmm. and had the best day. And it, he, he was awesome. It's Mountain Freedom in Scotland. If anybody wants to go on a hike on the Isle of Skye, mm. um, and then I, you know, I went to pubs and talked to people. What would you do when you're traveling by yourself to stay connected with people?
0: Um, so one of the wonderful things uh, about the Ruby community is how widespread it is. Uh, so there have been times where I would go to a place and just tweet and be like, hey, I'm in this place who is around and almost invariably would would be able to connect with like three or four people, one of whom wanted to get dinner that evening or tell me where I should go for dinner and things like that. That's worked like pretty reliably.
1: Okay, that's good because I am going, I am I don't know anybody very well. I have like some acquaintances in the community that I know at this mm-hmm. conference, but... Um, it's CSS DevConf. and it's on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. No way. Wait, do you know it?
0: No, that's, I mean, it, I've, it's on a boat. It's a boat. It's like that's a, so cool. it's an
1: old, I think it's like art deco thirties decorated. It used to be wow. a big cruise ship, but now it's like docked in Long Beach and
0: it's uh Permanently hotel. docked?
1: Yeah, I think it's permanently docked. Oh, interesting. And I, I've heard they have a haunted house. In October, going on or something. I
0: don't yeah. know. I'm pumped. Okay. Um. So you actually are from Silicon Valley. Yeah. How funny that you moved away from there to escape the tech world. I totally and, did. I was. And like, yet here you are. It's
1: like I hate tech. Like this is <laughs> not me. These are not my people.
0: Uh huh. Um, turns out it is you. T- turns out uh, we yeah, are your people. Like ten
1: years. Like a ten years avoiding tech in New York, and then and then getting back into it. I think mm-hmm. like. I also grew up without any, you know, like my mom was an elementary school teacher and my dad was a bus driver, mm-hmm. so they weren't in tech, into tech either. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of all around me and I had friends who were hackers, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also like the 80s, 90s, so it wasn't, it was before the internet. So it wasn't, there was nothing to draw me into it and there were no Courses in my high school around computer programming at that time. So it was just something that was all around me that didn't I I just didn't didn't think I was a part of Mm -hmm. Um, and then in college My last year of college. I was a psychology major Mm -hmm. And I was graduating and was like I have no idea what I (laughs) want to do I don't know what I can do with this degree (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was gonna do I knew I just had to move home Um, because there was nothing else to do and then figure out what to do next and so I had a friend who was a computer science major who um, showed me how to like view source in Mm -hmm. and you know on a web page because I was like oh maybe I'll learn to make web pages because that would be fun and I was like wow this is so cool and so then I made like GeoCities sites and stuff like my senior year in college when i couldn't like sleep at night because i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life mm. i didn't think about it as i just didn't even think about it as anything and i just started temping and you know doing random jobs for 10 years before kind of getting into graphic design and and moving back into web stuff
0: mm. hmm. cool so i have a designer question for you Ooh. okay um so first i, I empathize with uh our designers because i feel like it can be tougher to defend your decisions like, like when clients are questioning them uh than as a developer like I feel like mm. people everyone feels qualified to comment on the way the site looks or like where the button should go where like your an average client wouldn't say like, "Hey Ben, like I think this class might be too long <laughs> yeah.
1: or when you say, "I think we should use this they're they're like, "Great, I have no idea, please right. just do do what you think
0: right. But everyone's an expert on, you know, what color those things should be.
1: Yeah, I think. Um,
0: Is that, does that ring true to you?
1: Oh, yeah. But I think that for me, especially like what design school was. And I went, I went to design school after I graduated from college the first time I went back to school five years later for mm. communication design. And I did like a one year intensive program.
0: You were all about education.
1: I, that's it. That's that's it. I've talked about all the education I've done so far. Okay, all right. That's the
0: <laughs> so now oh, no, a, that wasn't <laughs> that criticism. I'm, that's a, that was a positive.
1: Um, and basically, all the classes were were being critiqued all the mm. time. So mm-hmm. I think a lot uh, by your by your colleague by a, your student other students and by your teachers. So I think that like for me, and I think in probably a lot of designers would say like design school is more about learning how to accept criticism. Mm -hmm. um learning how to not take it personally and learning how to dissect feedback in a way that is constructive for what the actual problem is that's trying to be solved Mm -hmm. so i think like a lot of times clients will try and solve the problem for you so Mm -hmm. when they say hey that button let's move it over here Right. They're trying to solve the design problem for you because they want to be helpful, and that's how they communicate. And so it's learning how to say, Oh, well, you know, what, where do you think, why do you think the button would be down there? Like, is it not, is it too strong where it is? Is, is the placement not right because you don't think it's as important as it should be, that it should be lower on the page? So I think to answer your question, I would say mostly, like, don't take it personally and then mm-hmm. figure out what exactly um the the problem is Mm -hmm. the the, the suggestion might the suggestion is um trying to solve the problem already right um and also it's so great to say let's ask users (laughs) you know (laughs) um sure I, i i think that's how not to say you get out of everything but that's how you get the answers to everything as if you know client thinks a and you think b And everybody's pretty sure that they're right. Well, then let's go to C. Let's go to the users.
0: Yeah. Or like run an A-B test or something. So it sounds like one of my follow-up questions to that was like how to give good feedback then. And it sounds like it's more of uh, talk about the problem, like the core problem you think is there or the goals you have for something. And that rather than uh, suggesting explicit changes.
1: Yeah. But I think, too, we can't, like, I don't expect clients to be able, like we all come from things differently and I'm Mm -hmm. a very visual person. um, And maybe I'm working for a client that, that is not so visual and and the way that they're going to communicate is, is different than my style. Um, And, you know, I think that's one of the cool things about being consultants is that we get to work with a lot of different industries and a lot of different types of personalities and a lot of different types of people And that's one of the big challenges, too, is, you know, if I'm on a project for three to six months, we will work on that together to figure out how to communicate and how to understand each other. Mm -hmm. And then it's over. And then you got to start again with somebody else.
0: Yeah, I I try to I try to shoot for I I try to do that thing of like identifying the core uh, concern or like goal and not be specific about not be too specific, overly specific, I guess, about suggested changes and kind of leave it open. Like I, I try to treat the designers that work on upcase like as like you are the professional when it comes to like interpreting the like what i want and into actual you know changes here and so it's like i would love it if this page felt more like a lesson plan or like i would love it if the user had you know felt more compelled to click this next thing and like and then kind of just like leave it at that and like i i know you're going to do a good job of figuring out how to interpret that into what what's going to be on the page
1: well you're a dream client then
0: oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) i've known a few designers in my day (laughs) Um so uh we have a interesting thing that we can talk about. Oh what's is, that? Uh well, so you may have noticed you listeners uh that uh, Brenda has been throwing me some questions a little bit and this has been a little more y than usual. Uh and the reason for that is actually that Brenda is going to be um hosting a couple Giant Robots episodes some point in the future.
1: I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for you to do it too. Um a handful of uh, random motivations, um, but one of them is that uh, I've been doing this a long time. This is 167th episode, and it's been wow. over three years. Yeah. And uh, it's been every week for quite a lot of time. And some weeks, it's tough to get them out, I'll be honest with you. Um, and Tom will be like, we got to get something out this week. And it's like, oh, man. Uh, and so uh, having a little bit of extra help every so often. Is going to be nice, and I think Brenda's going to do an awesome job. And so this is kind of meet Brenda as guest, and also meet Brenda as uh, sometimes host. So uh, welcome to the podcast in like a bunch of different ways.
1: Thank you. You know what? It's also really nice to talk to you because I don't think we've ever really talked before this. Yeah, like like somehow we've never been on the same activities at uh in our summer summits or anything. So. And you didn't even notice me in Boston. <laughs> well,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, the, the not talking apparently happened in two directions. So. Touche. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, man, it's, it's weird working for a company that's big enough where this could have happened. You know, like we haven't had a conversation yet.
1: Yeah. Well, like, how long have you been with ThoughtBot?
0: Uh, it's been over four years now.
1: Okay. So how many employees were there when you started? It was only Boston or uh, there yeah, was Stockholm? It was, only, it
0: was only Boston. I think I was like uh, number 15 or 16.
1: Oh, shoot. Really?
0: Yeah. Okay. So now we're 86 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And 10, 12 offices somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's big enough that, you know, we haven't chatted, but it it is nice to talk to you finally for for realsies. For realsies. In front of our cl- closest 7,000 friends. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any um, questions for me about podcasting and hosting and things like that as we, as I prepare you for this, uh, groom you for your new position?
1: Ooh. I mean, I had asked you some things offline but i guess Mm -hmm.
0: um or things that are now occurring to you as you sit in the the guest chair
1: i guess just it's kind of overall for the this might be a tom question too but maybe you know Mm -hmm. tom tom is the producer right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like how long do you go for i would assume you talk for longer than probably the podcast length is going to be and Mm -hmm. how much gets into the podcast and how much maybe doesn't do you feel like there's a good warming up time or maybe conversation isn't going and then it is or what's so the tom that?
0: tom definitely cuts some uh, not everything makes it out um and he's pretty diligent about saying like he doesn't he wants he cuts out false starts and ums and awkward pauses and things like that um like that one <laughs> uh, and um he no man now i'm self-conscious about the ums so, yeah, so I think he says he cuts about 5 to 10 minutes per episode, so I usually shoot to get about 40 minutes of talking, and that results in roughly a 30-minute podcast, which is, like, about the commute length of most people, which is a pretty nice length in there somewhere. Sometimes I will interview somebody, and we will have, like, a long digression on something that turns out to be kind of boring, and so afterwards I'll just send send Tom a little note, be like, that period we were talking about the whatever, like, maybe shorten that up if you can, and uh, he does a nice job with that, so...
1: What podcasts do you listen to?
0: Ooh, what podcasts do I listen to? I like the Tim Ferriss podcast a lot. He has really interesting guests on and I'm sort of like into that kind of lifestyle hacking, crazy life hacky thing.
1: What is it? I don't know what it is.
0: Uh, So Tim Ferriss wrote the 4-Hour Workweek and the 4-Hour Chef and the 4-Hour whatnot, um, the 4-Hour Body. Uh, He's a blogger and author and things like that. Uh, and he has really interesting people on, uh, like uh, most recent guest was um, Scott Adams. Yeah, Scott Adams, the author of Dilbert. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's, he's, his thing is all about, he says, uh, taking world class performers and dissecting how they do what they do. So he asked them questions about like what their morning routines are and what are your habits and picked up some interesting things from that. So that's a good one. Startups the Rest of Us is also good. Rob Walling and that other guy, his co host <laughs> uh what else let me see. uh I'm, i've been really into comedy bang bang recently this is my like um sort of guilty pleasure entertainment podcast which is like an improv comedy show mm-hmm. kind of thing which is pretty fun what else oh actually bike shed too i really like the bike shed which is another thought podcast
1: i was listening to that i was listening to the one about turbolinks that Hmm. when derek was talking about turbo links because that was the project i was on Uh, okay Uh, so i was really interested to hear um all the very technical things that i didn't totally understand about the magic that he was working on to make this very very slow app faster
0: yeah bike shed is great it's kind of like uh giant robots if it were way more technical and had better uh more technical hosts (laughs) (laughs) that, that know how to program well still so if, you're, if you miss the way the Giant Robots used to be, which is sort of more focused on technical things, then Bike Shed would be a great thing for you to check out. Uh, and then my final podcast is uh, The Savage Love Cast, which is Dan Savage's uh, podcast. Do you know him? Yes, but I he's haven't awesome.
1: listened to it. And you're probably like the fifth person who has mentioned him.
0: Yeah, I, I have a, a big man crush on him. He's awesome. Okay. He's basically like, he's like a sex blogger yeah. uh, slash podcaster. And the podcast is like a call-in show people call him with their various relationship and sex issues and he answers them on the air okay in a very humorous and uh progressive and enlightened fashion i would say
1: see i think i usually only listen to podcasts when i am on road trips
0: Mm, mm -hmm. so
1: being in new york city (laughs) (laughs) right i'm not Not always on road trips but when i go back to california to see my family um my brother my nieces and nephews live like about four hours from my mom Mm-hmm. And it's the most boring drive in the mm. world. It's it's I-5 I from um, Santa Clara to Reading. It's just ter- It's terribly boring. And it's also the same route I used to take to school and back when I was in school. So, like, I know it way too well. Yeah. Um, and so I really love to zone out on podcasts with that. But I've been trying to figure out how to get it. Like, I don't take the subway. I can walk to work. So maybe I need to start listening to things when I walk to work.
0: Mm-hmm. That's when I listen to most of my podcasts. <laughs> I-, I walk to work, too. And-
1: Sometimes, maybe when I walk home, because when I walk to work, it's like 9 a.m. And I'm walking through Midtown. I'm usually walking through Times Square. Mm-hmm. I know that probably sounds horrible. But actually, like at 9 a.m. in the morning, there's not much happening in Times Square. And it's, it's mm. kind of nice. And mm-hmm. There's lots of sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Um, but at night when I'm walking home, I am never walking through Times Square <laughs> yeah, at totally. 6 p.m. Um, and that's probably the time of day where I really want to tune out what's yeah. going on in the city.
0: Well, podcasts are a nice way to build yourself a little protective bubble. Yeah. Full of information.
1: I'm going to try that.
0: Cool. Well, I think this is actually a pretty good place to stop. Cool. Yeah. Uh, So uh, thank you for being on. And also thank you for helping uh, carry the load in the future. And I, I can't wait to listen to your episodes.
1: Thank you, Ben, for a nice introduction and for a nice chat.
0: Yeah, totally. Cool. Today's show was produced and edited by the one and only Tom P. Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 167. Thanks for listening.